I'm actually going to to critique. Um, uh, I think he's a Nobel Bell Prize economist. Um, I think his name is Bob Schiller. He, he's famous for the Case Schiller Index on uh, on home prices, right? So he he was he was famous for trying to predict whether there was um, a bubble in. Um, in, in housing. And, and he, he studies this and it's this, this field of economics uh, called behavioral economics. And um, it's, uh, I mean, it's an interesting field, but I, I think um, it, it has no place in describing or, or so maybe it can describe some aspect of the psychology of the mania of a bubble. But because it's not it, it can't narrow, it's not looking at um, a bubble's true essence, or it's not narrowing it down to what really this phenomena is. And because he's not doing that, he he can't figure out what what is the root cause of a bubble. So he, it, uh, go read his paper and go read this article by Frank Chostak, who actually uh, um, writes for Mises and um, the Institute. And uh, I think he, he has a really good paper describing this exact phenomena where uh, Bob Schiller or yeah, Schiller guy uh, basically um, describes a bubble, like describes the psychology and and, and mania. And he's got, he's got like a list of, you know, five different things that he thinks are characteristics of a bubble. Well, again, that's descriptive. Uh, But I think, so the same kind of like the same kind of um, I think faulty categorization or classification, classification is going on when people think about a Ponzi scheme. And I, I just, there's, if you go to like, if you, if you go and read about what a Ponzi scheme is, they list all these characteristics. There's all these characteristics. And, um, you know, uh, I watched a debate between, uh, Jorge Salafi and, uh, he's a, like a crypto Bitcoin critic and, uh, Lynn Alden. And they, they, they were debating whether, you know, Bitcoin is a Ponzi scheme. And this, 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 this Ponzi scheme keeps coming up because it's sort of been the go-to. Everyone sort of knows the story of Charles Ponzi, uh, who basically, um, he, he got investors to, um, he, well, he had this idea. And I guess he was going around probably saying it, like he was going to arbitrage uh, stamp, stamps um, between U.S. and another country. But he didn't actually go through with it. When he took investors' money, he basically just ended up paying out um, old investors with, with, you know, a little bit of new investor money. So he only cashed out a portion. And, uh, but, but it's not the, the, most people think of Ponzi where, uh, today, where you're um, a swindler sort of is, is law is, is, is lying. And they're, they're only being able to uh, pay off someone, pay off some people in the scheme by using new money, right? By using other people's money. And it looks like it appears that, that this, this the investment's working until it's not. So we've got Ponzi. We also have Madoff who did this, but the essence of it, um, the essence of it is not that uh, new buyers paid out old buyers. That's not the essence of a Ponzi. Now, I guess it's the essence of, of this this Ponzi um, as it's written today. You know, talking about yes, it is like that's one of the core things that they they talk about today. But I'm arguing that it's not really fundamental. 
um, to the thing. The thing is, is that every Ponzi scheme, I believe, um, has fraud. And the fraud is the key. The fraud is the key. What? What? So what is this? This though the the new people are paying off the old people, right? That is like a supporting. That's like supporting evidence. That is basically how Charles Ponzi was able to give the appearance of profits to some people, right? Because he had to. He had to. Um, because if put yourself in the position of Mr. Ponzi. You have to somehow convince people that at least on paper, their investment's up. Uh, and to do that, you'd have to sort of post profits. Like, so, so the moment he, he publicly posted about what he was supposedly making in the market by, by supposedly doing what he was going to do, um, uh, that was the lie because he didn't do it. But what if, what if, um, but what if he, what if what if this Ponzi guy actually didn't mention what he what he planned to do with the money? Because usually you're not going to um, take someone. Well, you well maybe. So I would imagine today fund managers don't tell exactly their clients or the, the people that participate in their fund what exactly they're doing with the money. I mean, maybe they do, but maybe they don't. I don't know. Maybe you don't have to tell them. <laughs> uh, that'd be kind of cool, right? Because uh, maybe you don't want to reveal your secrets. Um, yeah, and I think actually that, that does happen in pension plans, public pension plans, where they say, oh, we can't give away what we're doing because it's, uh, you know, if we if we had to disclose it to you, uh, you, you that would that would uh, kill our advantage, right? There's, there's, the market is about information, right? So if you're, you know, a fund, a trader, you want to keep, you know, want to keep your cards closed sometimes and you don't want to tell the tip off the market. You don't want to, uh, you know, you don't want to talk. So that's that's fair. So what if Mr. Ponzi didn't tell them about the stamp thing he was going to do? Well, is it a lie then to post, you know, uh, supposed profits? Yes, it's still a lie because even though he didn't tell them, right? So he didn't tell them he was going to do the stamp thing. Um, so the so the lie. So if he told them he was going to do the stamp thing and he didn't, that's a lie. But what if he didn't tell them he was going to do the stamp thing with their money? Well, um, it's, I guess it's not a lie because he didn't tell them, but as soon as he posts profits, um, now is that a lie? It's as soon as he posts profits, like he just says, okay, I've made this much money. Uh, you know, does he have to say the source? Um, I don't, I don't know. And actually I'm thinking just on the fly here, where is it illegal to take, to take, uh, new money and, and cash out old, old money. I would argue it's probably, uh, not, but, um, well, it might be with Ponzi laws today, but I think there's only like a few States that actually have on the books Ponzi laws and they're not really enforced. Uh, uh, but, but, um, uh, uh, I think the, the Ponzi law at the federal level actually failed to pass in the seventies. Uh, they tried to, they, I think they tried to get it to pass. I think it failed. Um, because they thought the definition would be considered too large. And I actually, I tend to agree with that now. Like I, I, t- I tend to think because it's ill-defined. Um, so where is it illegal to take new people's money and cash out old people's money? I don't think that's it. That's the issue actually. Now I think that if people knew about that, if people knew, if people did some digging and say, Hey, Mr. Ponzi, how are you, what are you doing here? Like they have some questions, right? So they, they see that some people are making money, uh, 
um, maybe, and then maybe, um, and then maybe they say, I want to cash out one day. And like Mr. Ponzi says, well, you know, I still need the money to be cooking for a little bit longer <laughs> in this thing. Uh, can you wait? Can you wait? Can you wait? And eventually this, you know, the Ponzi guy, this Charles Ponzi guy was skimming off the top. So eventually these things sort of fail naturally and they're on their own. Um, but oftentimes I think a Ponzi scheme could be perpetuated in a way where you don't tell anyone what you're doing with the money. So there's no lie in a way that you do take the traditional view of the Ponzi scheme, where you take, you are taking money from new people and giving it to old people, uh, where you do, do, do this. Um, and you're not really committing any, any fraud, which the fraud is the crime. Um, if people don't ask questions, maybe you could get away with it, but people often ask questions and where the guy, where this, where this perp, you know, perp, I guess call him a perp, <laughs> we're calling him that where this guy goes wrong is where he lies. So if, when he lies, when he says anything like, Hey, these profits came from this, we did so great. Um, you know, and it's a lie. As soon as you post profits and you say something about it like that, it's a lie. Um, and I think that, uh, I think that, that, um, you know, to be fair, some of the Bitcoiners, they're correct when they say, well, there's a lot of zero sum games out there. Yeah. Yeah, there are, uh, <laughs> where basically you're just, you're, you're shuffling around, um, money. You're, you're transferring purchasing power. Uh, if you get in earlier, it's better than if you get in later, of course. Um, I, I think the problem is, is, is where, you know, uh, and I'm jumping to Bitcoin here, but, but where, where, where are these profits, um, supposedly coming from? If people start asking questions, uh, and if statements are made to sell these schemes, so often, you know, you have to attract money, um, to your product and to Bitcoin and to like a Ponzi scheme. And, and often this is where the guy gets uh, in trouble is because he's saying stuff that is fundamentally not true. Um, and, and people can't, you cannot, here, here's how I would define, um, fraud. You, when you're selling somebody something, and I think this is the core of, of a Ponzi, this is the core of any kind of fraud. Um, when you're selling somebody something, you, you have a duty not to lie. Um, so you have a duty not to lie because there, there, there's a, there's like an implicit contract going on. And, um, there's this really good article that I recommend. And it's, if you just type in like Ayn Rand, um, uh, theft, um, non, non-aggression, uh, fraud. Yeah. Type in fraud, Ayn Rand, non-aggression. And it, it's an article that, that was written by somebody else. I think on like capitalism magazine or, or, um, no, it was something else, but there's a really good article that explains how, uh, this idea that, that you could still have theft, um, if you trick someone into buying something from you and you've made misstatements about that, they've basically handed over their, their money without like threat of a gun, but it was, um, under false pretenses. It was, it was, it was, it's theft because you tricked them, you deceived them, um, you committed deception against them to hand over their money and you didn't deliver or you delivered something that, that just wasn't true about this. You sold them something that wasn't true. They relied on your, your statements that weren't true. And, uh, you also have to have with fraud, a harm done, a benefit gained two different people. Um, and, 
a basically misstate, misstatement, false information being relayed. So you can't just call Bitcoin a Ponzi scheme. Like you just can't because Bitcoin is an asset for, for, uh, for, for what I consider Ponzi scheme, the, the core of it again, the fraud part, um, you have to have people involved in fraud. Again, two people, one selling, one's buying. There's misstatements, there's a harm done, and there's a benefit gained. So you can't call all of Bitcoin a Ponzi. You can only refer to certain actors, certain people that are committing fraud when they misstate things about Bitcoin, the nature of it. And they're also selling, selling this thing. And they're, they're basically gaining and, and they're harming. They, they cause harm basically, you know, to someone who bought it. Basically the price went down and they lost money or something. Now with Bitcoin, um, they, the Bitcoiners say that they're unlike a Ponzi because they, uh, 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 they're, um, a Bitcoin seller is maybe selling it, talking in the market on CNBC, but they're not going to be selling it um, directly to. So do you, as the person buying Bitcoin, if you buy it from someone, are they promising you and they talk about it? Are they promising you that they'll cash you out? They're promising you sort of that someone will because they're promising you higher returns in a way. They're, well, they're not promising, but they're basically saying this can only go up, you know, and, and, and they, but I wouldn't say that that's necessarily a misstatement, but there are clear, there are some clear examples of misstatements. Um, I think even labeling Bitcoin as money could be a misstatement. I think something as simple as you should hodl is a misstatement. Because what does that mean? It means that uh, some people are holding and not selling. So that's that's the idea of a Ponzi. You can't cash out everyone, right? Um, you need some people to hold because uh, there's not enough in the pot because uh, you're not really making money. And that's the whole the whole this this whole idea. This, this broader idea is that you're not really making uh, money in these in these um, in the in Bitcoin or like you're not, the whole thing is not generating profits to pay out. So there's, there's no investment here. It's, so I think even talking about Bitcoin as an investment is a misstatement, right? What are you investing in? Um, you're not, you're not really truly investing. You're just buying an asset and, and just speculating on price. And I think there's going to be a lot of people sued who are calling it an investment, especially a risk off investment, which Michael Saylor has recently done in talking about Fidelity offering it for retirement accounts. Uh, but I think that people should just talk, just focus on the fraud. What What is being said about Bitcoin? There's so many things being said about Bitcoin. It's like a battery, it's energy that I think are false. And I think um, could be used to charge these people with fraud. Now, somebody might say, well, but Bitcoin is, you know, they're not the ones cashing you out it doesn't matter. This thing is fungible. So like, they're not the ones cashing you out, but they, they realize that like somebody else could. Um, so I think that it's a gray, gray line between, well, they're not making you promises. It's going to go up. They're not going to be the ones paying you out the profit in Bitcoin, uh, necessarily. Right. So they basically sort of been able to securitize or even tokenize this investment, you know, quote unquote investment. Like, so if you are a Bitcoin miner and you're selling Bitcoin to someone, um, uh, 
you know, this person doesn't have to come back to you to get out of Bitcoin. They can go to anyone else. And that is that is that is the 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 beauty of all these exchanges. That is the beauty of this idea of this fungible token that they're all alike and they're all the same. And you can basically go to anybody. If you find a market, if you find a buyer, if you find people willing to buy it from you, you can just use them to cash you out. That is um, interesting. And these exchanges are totally key to the value of all of these crypto assets. You take away that and you really, really uh, will will, um, handicap uh, all of these cryptos. And they'll basically be um, approach zero in value because you you have to have an exchange. Um, So uh, let's see, there was another article that I wanted to mention that was actually really good. Um, Oh, so um, back to the bubble article in the very beginning. Um, Bubbles, um, the way that 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 Case Shiller guy explains bubbles, uh, he doesn't doesn't really tell you anything interesting because he doesn't tell you the the core of it or the essence. The essence of the bubble, and this is from Frank Shosak, and I I have this argument that I, I learned about, and I, I agree with him. I haven't seen a better argument, and I've thought about it a little while. I might change my mind, but a bubble um, basically is a, characterized by rising in price. What 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 is the only thing that can do that, right? If you're in the Bitcoin community, you might think, well, inflation, right? The expansion of the money supply, and that's exactly right. But but it's so the expansion of the money supply is where you get someone is getting new money and this new money is generated out of thin air. And this is, this is um, the people that are getting this new money first. They have enormous advantage. Basically they're getting new money for nothing. They're just getting, and they can spend this, right? They can spend this in the market and they do. And what do they do? If they get something for nothing, they don't have to work for it. They don't need to, you know, they don't need to do a proper investment. They just go buy an asset that's on the market, right? They go buy an asset, they go buy food, they go buy real things. And it raises the price for everyone else. So, because it diminishes your purchasing power, uh, because this new newly created money comes in. Now, the bubble phenomenon is where the new money comes in. It bids up. You go bid up an asset, and this is a, considered like a non-productive activity. Uh, but it makes you money because you're just you're you're it's a wealth transfer. Um, you're taking resources sort of out of the economy, like you're bidding up houses, right, with this newly created money uh, that you got, or or just for a very low like interest rate, you got basically free. Um, and you were able to get this this house, right? You were able to bid it up before before everyone else. Now this then um, this creates a, 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 an exchange of of nothing for something because you got the money for free, and then you are sort of non productive. You're just going to um, to take advantage of the price appreciation of the asset. That's where this bubble comes in. So this bubble, the, the root cause is actually the Fed. It's actually the the money um, printer, and. Uh, I, I don't know why it goes into certain assets and not others, but you know, Bitcoin was a great asset for it to go into uh, because it was small. It can be, you know, it can be more manipulated. There can be big whales. It's not regulated. Uh, it's this new thing that nobody knows what it is. Nobody knows how to classify it. Is it commodity? Is it security? Is it a whatever? Uh, it's cool. It's tech. It's new technology. You can say it's new. It's cutting edge. So it goes into this asset class. And, and my argument is that Bitcoin definitely depends on QE on cheap money because it's a non-productive activity. It, it, this gets back to, I'm not going to say it's a Ponzi and I'm not going to say it's a, a fraud because fraud involves people. There are certain people that are committing fraud in Bitcoin, but that's not everyone. Uh, but it, it, it goes back to this idea that, that, that this that it is a bubble. Um, it needs cheap money in order to continue. 
Now, it's interesting that even Tether, the, you know, the stable coins, they've basically created their own little printer, right, that they can, they can, they can use. Uh, but, but the bubble, this, this asset bubble, I think, better describes what's going on in Bitcoin. Yes, there's fraud. Yes, there's bad actors. Um, like I said, I, I'm to the point now where I don't think that the Ponzi analogy is that good uh, just because it... Um, I don't think the Ponzi essence is is new people paying out old people, even though that's a characteristic of how people describe it. The characteristic, I think, is the fraud, is the lying. That's the main issue. And I think there's a lot of lying in Bitcoin. I think there's a lot of stuff that they're saying that's untrue. And um, I do think these people might be sued, but maybe they won't be. Maybe they'll get away with it because... Uh, to be fair, it's not just one guy. They've sort of distributed the, the risk um, amongst themselves. But I think we I think that, that people should look more into what is a bubble, what is the essence of a bubble, what's the essence of a fraud, and look in the market for people being benefited. Where, where are people benefiting? Where are people harmed? Where's the lie in Bitcoin?